friends, welcome back to Marketing Sweats. Joining me on today's episode is Andy Montgomery, who is the brand manager for LG Seeds. I got to know Andy through the recent brand strategy we built, and he is such a great cheerleader and positive leader for his company. We talk a lot about how Andy helped lead his company through a major rebranding. They had some unique challenges to overcome given the nature and expanse of their company, but their story is very inspiring, and I think it has a lot to offer any of us who may be going through a similar journey. You'll hear an extra voice today, my partner, Tim. He's joining me again for this interview, and he has actually worked with LG Seeds for most of his career. So here it is, guys, my interview with Andy Montgomery. Talk a little bit about your role and your background at LG Seeds, and also I'm going to ask Tim to talk a little bit about himself because I'm not sure some of our listeners will know that he's an ag guy mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I get to sit and talk to two ag guys today. Yeah, yeah. So Perfect. tell us about yourself, Andy. Well, um, pretty simple. I grew up in uh, Southwest Indiana in a small town uh, in Clay County, uh, Brazil, Indiana. My grandparents, all my uncles farmed, and. You know, grew up knowing that I wanted to be part of a farm, but not really knowing how. Okay. I loved agriculture, loved everything about it, loved animals, yeah. was, was in 4-H for 10 years, showed hogs. And, you know, kind of as I got into high school and reality starts hitting, what sure. are you going to do? Right. You know, and at that point, you know, I, I want a farm. I want to raise pigs. That's, really? that's all you want to do. Okay. And really, you know, your parents start talking to you about the realities of life. Mm-hmm. You, you need to go to college. You need to go to college. Right. And, you know, at first I was like, hey, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a veterinarian. So I was the first in my family to go to Purdue nice. and went up there thinking, you know, I'll just be a veterinarian. Okay. You know, and come back to the, the family area and, um, you know, have something to do with pigs and, yeah. and, and be a veterinarian. And got up there very quickly and kind of the world opened up that there's all these other things tied to ag. You know, yeah. I, my early on, I kind of thought you're either a farmer or you're a veterinarian. <laughs> Those are the choices. <laughs> that was your choices yeah. in ag. I didn't know there was other things that you could do. And, you know, quickly within college, met a lot of great people and, and really the world opened up that there's all kinds of possibilities Absolutely. in ag. And, you know, real quickly, um, you know, after my freshman year, I was approached by actually our, our hometown seed rep. Okay. You know, and looking back on it now, I kind of think, wow, that was that was a pretty neat individual. Probably mm-hmm. somebody today that's really had an impact on me. But, uh, you know, he asked me and said, hey, if you're uh, coming home, you mm-hmm. know, we've got an internship program. Love to have you consider that. So interviewed for that and spent the summer working in Terre Haute, Indiana area, kind of southwest Indiana, um, getting to know the seed business. Sure. And, you know, I knew area farmers in my mm-hmm. own community. This is kind of before social media. So you kind of knew what you were neighbors to. Outside that, you know, I didn't have that much experience to other farmers. Right. And spent the entire summer just interacting and getting to know all these other growers from probably an eight or nine county radius. That's cool. Like, this is really cool. Yeah. You know, people do it a lot of different ways. Right. And that kind of transition in school, that changed my major from pre-vet to ag economics. Okay. Continued on the next summer with another internship with the same organization. Then my junior year interned with another seed company. Mm -hmm. And really at that point, I was like, this is what I want to do. That's great. And that kind of led me into going right into the the seed business from from that standpoint. So for me, that's... It's kind of history. I've really never done anything professionally other than be involved with a seed company. That's great. So this will be my um, 22nd year in the seed business in, in 2020. So and my so 22nd selling season. That's great. In it. 
And have you always been with LG Seeds or was there? Yeah, no. So, um, you know, I started out my career with uh, Agrigold Hybrids, which okay. is actually one of our sister companies. Yeah. And um, that's where I started my career mm-hmm. as an intern. And then I actually interned, not knowing today how it all turned out, with uh, Callahan Seed, okay. between my junior and senior, which is actually one of the companies that uh, had merged into LG, uh, LG yeah. Seeds years and years About ago. 20 years ago. Yeah. So I really kind of had my uh, initial start with LG yeah. 20 five years wow. ago. Didn't even know it at the time. Didn't even know it at the time. <laughs> Full circle. And some of the people that I worked for back then, some young seedsmen are still with the company yeah. today and I was yeah. their intern. Yeah. So pretty, pretty neat how it all comes full circle. LG Seeds is one of two national brands that make up the larger company called AgriLiant. LG Seeds is the distribution model brand that supports a dealer network from coast to coast, and Andy's job as the brand manager involves things like organizing and managing the sales perspective, to supporting and leading their marketing efforts, to overseeing product development. It's a really great opportunity. Uh, I've been at it for just a, a hair over two years, and, and it's uh, I learn every day. You know, the seed business today, Misty, is it's changing massively. You know, I, I've been doing it for 20 plus years, and really for the first 15, 16 years of my career, it didn't change much. Okay. It really didn't. Yeah. It was pretty much, you went to the farm with the same methods, the same tactics as you did really since the 50s. A farmer um, bought from either a dealer direct from a company, and obviously over the last, you know, really five years, the amount of technology that has just uh, flooded into farming today is, is off the yeah. charts. Yeah. Well, and it affects everything that we do. And Andy, my recollection from growing up on a farm and, and seeing it through, same as yours, not mm-hmm. a lot changed, selling seed was really relationship-based, mm-hmm. right? Like, because as a farmer, mm-hmm. you generally only knew of the dealers that you knew and mm-hmm. the brands they sold, your neighbors and what they planted, and you would ask them, well, you planted that, what do you think mm-hmm. about that? It's good. Can you introduce me to mm-hmm. to your dealer? And from a marketing perspective, as long as you made yourself known within that county in some mm-hmm. way and... You had a good dealer network who were good representations of your brand. You'd kind of done your job. Maybe mm-hmm. some radio ads, some sponsorships of the local teams. That was the marketing toolkit did not have to be terribly deep for a long period of time. But then with the advance of the internet, with people being like, wow, I can now expand my horizons and learn about a lot of brands that are available to me that maybe I didn't know about. I can now do research and comparisons of brands that before I just had to take dealer's words for it and kind of decide what mm-hmm. I wanted to do from there. To your point, I think that's where it all really mm-hmm. kind of changed of like, oh, this is gonna have to be a lot more than just, I've been around town and I've made great relationships and got a bunch of handshake deals and that's gonna sustain me and in, in the brand I work mm-hmm. for. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and I think that relationship piece is so core to much of our conversation today. So tell us a little bit about the five brands that came together that obviously were very relationship-based, very local to the markets that they served, and then LG Seeds coming to the forefront as the brand that you guys were going to consolidate under and go to market. You know, it's something that our our parents and really the the board that operates AgriLine had talked about for some amount of time. I would say probably... In the last five or six years, it had been discussed at at a high level, knowing that as the complexity was coming into our business, you know, the more brands you operated, the more complexity there was. And, you know, how do we cut through the complexity? 
And really one of the ways of cutting through that complexity and really building on the power of the organization was we needed to really bring these brands together, unify them so we could have a stronger forefront, you know, not just in the marketplace, but the strength of the organization could really be shown right. a little bit clearer from that standpoint. But at the same time, you know, since the advent of AgriLiant in 2000, we really built this organization on having strong, unique regional brands. Yeah. And that was really our hallmark. So it, to some degree, went against what had built the organization. And, you know, when you looked at it, uh, we had five really, really strong brands that were really geographically based that we needed to bring together. You know, to the north, we had Winsman Seeds in Minnesota that really covered North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. I mean, that company was still ran by the the originators. Yeah. You know, yeah. Jeff Winsman, uh, that was the brand manager, started the company. So, I mean, his name was tied to that mm-hmm. brand. People bought Winsman Seed for the experience. Mm-hmm. Right. They bought a high-value product that was highly traded with a lot of technology and a lot of knowledge behind it. Yeah. Supported by people you knew. Their name was on the back. Right. And then, you know, to the south, we had Producers Hybrid that was based out of Nebraska. Again, you know, Producers was a really unique Western brand that kind of operated in Nebraska, South Dakota, Kansas, Western Iowa. And they were, I mean, they had a Western flair to them. Yeah. You know? Well, and they were a bit more progressive in the mm-hmm. marketing, right? I remember auditing and see, yeah. they were bold in edgy. their communication. You know, to yeah. some degree, very edgy, a very confident brand sure. on how they portrayed themselves in the marketplace. And people really were drawn to that. Yeah. You know, that was special. So we had to think, how are we going to merge Winsman and producers, you know, together when they have such different sure. uh, aspects and yeah. appeal in the marketplace? You know, then to the east, we had Great Lakes Hybrids that was based mm-hmm. out of Michigan. And, you know, Great Lakes had been around for 90 years. Wow. I mean, they were one of the first seed brands in the business, period. I mean, right. you can track them back, you know, pre-war. There was a lot of trust, a lot of loyalty to that brand. Right. I mean, my grandpa, my great-grandpa, you know, planted Great Lakes. And my grandpa and my dad mm-hmm. planted Great Lakes. There was that level of trust that just kind of transcended families was pretty powerful Absolutely. from that standpoint. So how do you, you break that loyalty? Because they were very loyal to that brand. Mm-hmm. Then we had Legacy LG. And Legacy LG had a very big footprint. Um, they had just recently gone through a brand refresh. They were kind of a, an exciting newer brand that really embraced high yielding products. Got it. You know, if you yeah. think about the marketplace and where Legacy LG had had success, they just they sold yield mm-hmm. at the farm gate. Progressive farmers that wanted high yielding products, you know, were attracted to LG, and they really sold off of that. And that was that was a really great attribute of that brand. You know, then you got down into Texas. We uh, we had a brand, Golden Acres, that was based in Waco, Texas. And they really covered that southern market to the High Plains market, which is a whole new world where you can't lean on just seed corn. They brought sorghum into the mix yeah. um, as well, which was great. So, And that market, they marketed different. Their dealer arrangements were different. The type of customers they went after were different. So we had to be thinking about how do we unify and we really missed, we never wanted to use the word merger because okay. we never felt like we were merging the brands okay. together because behind the scenes, they were already all agri-reliant. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we really thought at the end of the day, we were unifying them into one uh, gel <clears throat> brand together. I remember you saying that. Yeah. And that seemed to really resonate with the employees as well, Yeah, that they didn't feel like they were losing something, but yeah. 
we were gaining more than we were losing right. from that standpoint. And, and I think that has resonated through mm-hmm. the entire unification that we would call it. Because, you know, behind the scenes, we were already on the same team. Yeah. It was just a matter of how do we bring these teams together. Well, I think that was, that was a really important distinction in the marketplace because in the seed landscape, there has been a lot of acquisition mm-hmm. and mergers and one company acquiring another when they were not part of the same group mm-hmm. and one bought the other. It was important that people in the marketplace, because that's not necessarily known mm-hmm. by everybody, because there's not a lot of overlap of where these brands serve. Mm-hmm. Wensman's customers may have never heard of LG Seeds and, and would have had no idea that Wensman and LG had always been mm-hmm. owned by the same company. So I think that was one of our initial, initial challenges out of the gate was, this is not another seed industry acquisition or merger. This is just one company who had this portfolio of brands saying, we can better serve our customers if we operate under mm-hmm. one unified umbrella than as a, as a mm-hmm. series of brands. It was more of that, but that was critical for employees, for customers, for dealers to understand, here's why this is different and why it's actually going to be mm-hmm. a good thing for all of you, as opposed to your beloved regional brand got swallowed up by a giant corporation mm-hmm. and they're no longer going to run it the way you're accustomed to. That, that was really critical. We really spent a lot of time with our internal employees mm-hmm. with the announcement. We made the announcement about a year before we actually did the unification. Wow. You know, to give people time to uh, think about it, mm-hmm. uh, time for feedback. Right. You know, how, how do you see this coming together? You know, and at the same time, we, we really thought we were better together than we were apart. Right. When I look back um, on the experience of working with you guys through that process, I remember being just so impressed with your trust in your employees to come along with you because a lot of companies who go through any sort of merger Mm -hmm. acquisition choose to keep that very you know, tight-lipped or secretive. So you guys took a completely different point of view on that. Mm -hmm. And you let everybody in, you engage them in conversation, and so much so that I think that that helped translate through your dealer and your grower Mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, you you know, looking back on it, uh, was it right, was it wrong? We don't know. We did not want to hide anything from our employees and our dealers. That was really, really important. We wanted to be able to work through the unification out in the open. Mm You know, where we could ask people, have focus groups, everything from our logistics to our finances to accounting to how we were working with our dealers. It would have been very, very hard to do that under a veil of darkness. Absolutely. You know, it would have leaked and, you know, there would have been rumors started. So we said, let's just get it out there. Yep. We're going to do this in time. Here's the reasoning why we need to unify the brands together. And we're going to ask your help along Mm -hmm. the way. One, it was interesting to us. I mean, one of the first things I remember doing with you guys was we were invited to kind of a workshop just to sit and observe where you had told us this was the plan. And we got to this workshop and we saw kind of the different camps and everybody from the different brands sitting around kind of talking. And at the end of the workshop, I think we driving home were like, wow, like they really do care about making sure that people from each of these brands can see themselves in it. So when we talked about how we take your brand out to the public, that really gave us a good platform to start from. Yeah, that concept of team. I remember you talking about, you know, we're sort of better together, right? We have all this different expertise and the way that we approach the grower with agronomics Mm -hmm. and, you know, talk about how that became core to your brand strategy. Well, we had spent about a year, year and a half studying past mergers, unifications in the, uh, the business. And... There was one trend that we really saw 
that when organizations would either buy up, merge, or unify brands, they would typically disrupt the relationships at the dealer gate or the farm gate. Got it. And when you would disrupt those relationships, you would lose. Okay. The brand would almost always lose. Right, right. We kind of spent some time thinking, how could we keep from disrupting those relationships? I remember that because I would say to you, Andy, what are your growth goals? And you're like, Misty, all I want to do is retain. Like, we have to not lose. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, we knew that there would be some loss. Yeah. You know, because in our business, it is about relationships. Yeah, it's it's about quality products, it's about, you know, service, it's about all these other things, but a relationship's what brought it to fruition. It, we were at the at the table because of a relationship. Yep. From uh, how it ties into the marketing side of things, your other mm-hmm. part of your job, I mean, that was very much on the, like, sales, distribution, mm-hmm. territory coverage, how are you going to make that work? But you also had the marketing responsibility. Yep. And then talking to the different groups about what's important to them. You had one brand that was very mm-hmm. progressive and edgy. You had one that was very mm-hmm. conservative, family-oriented. Some were all about the product. And the best thing they can do is go out to everybody who are saying, why did you do this? What's going on? I'm going to miss this. And just say, we mean business. Like, that's what you got to make people believe. And we went through a lot of different concepts and talked to you guys. And that's ultimately the one we landed on. Well, I think um, as we were developing that as a team you know, and throwing ideas on the board, we spent a lot of time talking about how has the business changed. And, you know, I think one thing that really became evident when you think about the type of customer that we wanted to attract and the type of customers that we had the best relationship with, they were businessmen. You know, they weren't farmers. Right. I, I mean, they weren't. I mean, at the core, right. they're farmers. At the core, I'm they, a they farmer. They farm. They have yeah, the tractors. Absolutely. They, yeah. But, I mean, these are multi-million dollar businesses that have as much technology in their equipment as as most major. It's amazing the skill level of these farmers and and their operation and their employee base today. And I kind of use this analogy is the last real farmer I knew was my grandpa. You know, he showed up every day to work in his overhauls. I don't have a memory of him not being in his overhauls. And, you know, he loved to get up and eat the exact same breakfast every day and go out and pick rocks in his fields and pull weeds in his fields. And he was a wonderful farmer. Right. Watered his cows every morning and evening. And, you know, I think of my first cousin that farms that farm today. He's a businessman. Sure. You know, he doesn't eat the same breakfast every day. Right. He doesn't get up and water his cow. I say he doesn't wear overhauls. He probably wears khakis as much as he wears, you know, overhauls. Mm-hmm. Because he has to spend as much time with bankers and investors and marketing his crop and business relationships he has in the community as any other businessman in the community does. And it really, to me, we needed to make sure as a brand that we were showing up as a business partner with sure. these other businesses, that yeah. we're not just seed people. Absolutely. That we're not just a seed rep peddling a bag of seed. We're, we're a, a high-tech business going B2B with another high-tech business. Yeah. It just happens to be a farmer. Well, and I give you guys a lot of credit in those early planning stages because you did. You sat around and you talked about who is our target. You know, you personified them and you went through those motions, which I think ultimately led to the right messaging mm-hmm. strategy.
Backing up just a little bit, though, because I do want to understand how things are working for you today. Before you could ever go to market with a campaign, there was sort of this brand equity that needed to be created in those markets. I guess it's a question for both of you. How did that unfold before you unveiled We Mean Business, or was that done at the same time? Well, I mean, I think for for the folks listening to this who aren't necessarily familiar with the seed business, these weren't five national brands, meaning that a customer in Michigan would not have known and had the option of buying all five of these brands. They knew Great Lakes, the brand in their area. So when you remove that brand, you now have to go and re-educate all these people on what brand is taking its place and why should you consider them and how are they related to the brand that you're familiar with that is leaving and what is your value proposition. And for each one of those, Andy did a great job laying out what kind of the value prop and the brand meant for each one of those and the hard part was they were all different and you know to add to that you people ask us all the time why did you pick lg right right why not one of the other brands why not a brand new brand just come up with something Mm -hmm. new and that was all looked at and considered and really at the end of the day it was pretty simple lg seeds had the widest footprint and the widest brand recognition of any of the brands to date okay really that was the reasoning at the end of the day you know, we knew to start something from scratch with zero brand recognition was going to be an uphill battle that would have been very, very hard and costly right. um, to do right. that. And then when it came down to LG Seeds and with the help of uh, really Tim and the Samantha team, we come up with the We Mean Business theme. We need something that was strong enough that gave a level of confidence mm-hmm. because we didn't disrupt their local relationship with the right. organization. That was still there. Right. But they needed some confidence booster. Okay, you're still coming up my driveway, but who is this new brand that you have with you that that you're representing now? And it needed to be simple, it needed to be confident, and it it needed to really drive a message that, that we're here to stay. Well, and you were going up against some big competitors, mm-hmm. right? So I, th- I remember that part of the process, too, of doing a little bit of competitive analysis. And so talk about your market share overall and yeah. how this campaign has really helped you. Drive. Yeah, you're right. It, in the seed business, it's pretty unique because you've got two major competitors. Between the two of them have roughly 70% of the market. Right. And we fall, you know, in that AgriLion, in that 3-4 range, and we only have, you know, 5% of the market. Yeah. You know, so there's a big difference between one and three from that standpoint. You know, for us, it was all about making a splash, you know, as wide as we could, support our people and their local messaging. The other thing that we've done over the last year is we operate in roughly 3,000 counties, which is a lot of counties, in about 18 states, pretty aggressively and not a budget to just flood the airwaves in all those areas. So we created what we call impact zones. Okay. So we had every one of our 43 teams go in and pick two to three counties. Okay. Essentially 10% of the counties that we market in. And it really boils down to about 300 counties. We are going to flood those 300 counties. And those 300 counties go from California to Maryland. Wow. You know, from really the Canadian border all the way down into uh, the Mississippi Delta. We're going to spend dollars and energy marketing in those 300 counties to give us this national presence. Sure. 
and not spend so much time watering it or spreading yeah. it like peanut butter yeah. across the entire footprint. Well, and I'm sure you used a lot of data to determine mm-hmm. those decisions, but also just the human brain power yeah. of where you need to make yeah. an impact. And we let our local teams pick that. That's great. You know, where have they planted the flag? Where do they have momentum already going that we can build upon? Right. You know, our impact zones weren't areas where LG was not known. Sure. It was actually areas that we had built momentum that we wanted to build upon even greater. That's interesting. So it was interesting. You know, I think a lot of people think we went to unknown areas. No, we didn't go. Give us time to go to unknown areas. Let's build it where we have some, you know, foothold in moving forward. Absolutely. Well, and something that uh, your team really challenged us with was in the egg industry, like a lot of, of B2B markets in this space, you have your traditional outlets where you it's kind of, you know, a long-standing belief but you have to be advertising here. You know, your your national print magazines, your big radio networks, these different types of things. And it's like, well, immediately we have to do all these things and we'll see how much is left to do, mm-hmm. to do whatever we have left. The team kind of challenged us based on these impact zones to say, the intuitive thinking, I guess, just that you would naturally come to would be, okay, if we want to be seen as a national brand and a big player, well, let's pick four biggest magazines with the biggest national circulations and let's buy big ads in those and everybody will believe we're a big national player. And we kind of challenged that and Andy kind of challenged his team and we were aligned on that, thank goodness, and said, I think that's zig, let's zag here mm-hmm. instead. So I think that was where our partnership had this great synergy of, you knew what you wanted to do, we said we can enable that to happen. and. What they're doing in South Dakota is different what they're doing in Ohio, and what they're doing in New York is different what they're doing in Mississippi. And if you get the local teams excited about it and the local dealers excited about it, it really gives you that national presence. And then people see as they travel or social media, the power of Twitter is amazing. Sure. And people see what kind of activities we're supporting across the country, and it's, it's been pretty neat. Talk more about the dealers. So many of the clients we work with have these really complex distribution systems, mm-hmm. and I know that that was probably one of your challenges too. And you know, we've talked so much today about your employee communication and your end mm-hmm. user communication, but those middlemen who offer yeah. your product, what did that look like? You, you know, for us, it, it's trying to um, define what that distribution looks like. And really, our, our legacy brands, Misty, were, they had all different types of dealers. Big, small, retail, professional, farm managers, contract employees, you name it. All good. You know, none bad, all good. Um, But really for us moving forward, we wanted to find ways to really simplify the approach. Okay. So we can move to the marketplace with one unified dealer direction. And we've done that around an approach that we call our star partner dealers. Okay. And, you know, we brought all of our dealers along with us and we still are supporting all of our dealers today, but we're really funneling our dealers into a a star partner program. And it really gives them some consistency. Absolutely. That there's not one-offs on every corner of every town that we can support them consistently across the footprint. And at the same time, we need to be able to educate them. Sure. I really... Someday, and, and we're definitely getting closer to this, want to walk into one of our dealer meetings and not be able to tell the difference between a full-time employee and one of our star partners. Yep. They look the same. They talk the same. They present our products the same. Their right. engagement level's the same. Their expectations and their accountability mm-hmm. are the same. And we had to really elevate our engagement with our dealers to get there. Sure. 
you know, it's not come to one meeting a year, yeah. you know, get a, a free koozie and a binder <laughs> right. and, and go back to your trade area. Right. You know, we need, we, we need to engage with them every month, every week, throughout the entire year with communication. That has been a massive undertaking mm-hmm. to get Absolutely. to that point. And we, we're slowly getting into that, but I think the, the amount of engagement, training, the materials, the systems, the tools, the ability for our dealers to customize their own engagement with the brand has came a long way in a pretty short period of time. The We Mean business, a lot of people think it's a campaign. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, a lot of people think it's a brand tagline. Mm-hmm. It's it's so much more than that. Yeah. I mean, it is something that I think gives our, our brand life. Sure. It gives it energy. It is really kind of our shining star, our right. North Star, We yep. Mean business in it. It resonates in absolutely everything that we do. It's almost as, as strong as the logo itself. Well, and it's helping even make decisions about mm-hmm. where to focus your time and energy. I remember a meeting we had where we said, okay, what are all the touch points that we need to manage with our dealers and then the touch points they need to manage with their customers? And, mm-hmm. you know, so I think we've spent much of the conversation talking about branding, but now you guys are really getting into that customer experience space and sort of setting the bar for mm-hmm. what kind of experience well, you want. Well, eventually it has to come to life. Right. And that's what we're working on right now is, is bringing the brand and we mean business to life that it means something you can feel and you just don't say it. It actually, you can see it. We, you talked a lot about you know some structural changes you had to make to, to set your team up for success. What does that look like today? Tell us a little bit about your team and some of your philosophies as you've evolved into this new role. As a leader in an organization, probably the the most powerful thing that you can do is surround yourself with other good leaders. And you know, we've been blessed that the organization was was full of some really great people. You know, the thing was is getting them in the right spot sure. to shine. It's always the problem. Yeah, and and really, it, the unification gave us an opportunity to kind of like a chessboard move things around a little bit. That's hard in some cases because we had to make changes in a lot of places and today looking back on it we've got a lot of the right people in the right place and they're going to do it to the best of our internal team's uh, needs they're going to support our dealers at the highest level and they're going to do what's right for the health of the organization absolutely you know and we we started with a lot of people two years ago and some people decided this wasn't the right bus for them and that is healthy that's the one thing I always want to tell people Mm -hmm. when you start a new venture a new organization or a new direction and there are people there from day one they may in time may not agree with the direction of philosophy and that's not a bad thing yeah you know the worst thing is is when people stay Right. When they don't believe mm-hmm. in what we're trying to do. And here we are through our first year going into year number two. And I'm confident that we've got the right people that believe in what we're yeah. trying to do here at LGCs. And that's, that is powerful. What else, as you look back over the past year or two, do you think were some of your you know high highs or low lows? Like what advice, I guess, would you have for another marketer who may be going through a similar you yeah. know, change? You, you know, looking back on it, you know, and you guys were there from the beginning, is I think you underestimate the amount of change there really will be in any sort of of new adventure. I mean, you just do. You think, hey, I'm pretty, I am comfortable with it. Yep. Everyone else will be really comfortable (laughs) with it too. Sure. You know, yeah, they may be a day or two behind me. Right, right. People are 
uncomfortable with change. Yeah. Period. Even really good change. Sure. They know it's really good, but it's change. Yeah. And they'll tell you, I see this is really good, but boy, it's different. It's right, so right. different. So I think looking back, we probably underestimated how many things were actually going to change. And, you know, everybody communicates differently. You know, every conference I've gone to, every article I read, every survey that you see the results from is organizations say there's just not enough communication. Right. And we tried to communicate a gazillion different ways, a thousand different times, and it was never enough. Yeah. You know, we could have done yeah. more. Yeah. Somehow, some way, you know, but there's that fine balance of too much in some places, sure. too much in others. You know, you've really got to find ways to segment out where people are in the change process. You know, people that are comfortable with it, you got to let them go. The ones that need more, the why behind it, you've got to make sure you find a way to get them that information because they'll get to they'll get to where you're at. It just takes a little bit more time. And the number of topics to communicate. You changed um, nomenclature of products. You changed packaging of products. I mean, there's just outside of just the pure marketing lane, there was so many operational considerations that needed to be talked about, yeah. right? So, and I don't know if we change it going back originally. You know, we were going to slow play this unification over about two to three years mm-hmm. before we fully got to 100% unified, one brand, one direction, everything. And right out of the gates, one of the real clear pieces of feedback we got from our teams is just make it. Pull the tape off and, and get to one unified brand as fast as possible. And we're like, okay. Are you sure? (laughs) It's such good advice. I can't tell you how often we work with organizations that are going through a rebrand and they want to do it over time. And and when you have the resources, Mm -hmm. we always say faster is better. Do it fast. And I would tell anyone who is doing a merger, a unification, (laughs) a brand change, get to the end as fast as you can get to it. Even if it's not perfect in the first year, get to it. Year number two can be all about making it perfect. So that's probably one of the proudest things that I am coming out of this first year is that we got to one complete LG, one new team, one structure, one brand, one message, one product, one, one vision in 12 months. Right. And here we are going into year two and there's nothing new. Well, and I I think our listeners will hear this in your voice, just kind of getting to know you through your conversation. But every meeting I went to, Andy, you were a cheerleader. You know, you stood up in front of the room and you were excited about the direction. And I think that that speaks volumes for your leadership. So congratulations on that. One thing I'm curious about related to, to the conversation we just had, when you do push things fast, your leadership, the folks at the top who made this decision they have a timeline in their head. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's shared, sometimes it's not, sometimes you'll never know, but you know they have a timeline in their head of when they expect to see Mm -hmm. ultimately results. How do you as a leader, knowing you've got all of these folks you're trying to bring along and get behind you and figure out how to do what you need to do, and then you turn the other way and you've got your leadership and the heads of Mm -hmm. of the team who made these decisions, how do you temper their expectations but give them what they need to know to believe in you with your team looking at you like, are we going to be able to do this? You're our leader. How do you how do you kind of balance between those two? Well, I think to Misty's point, being a cheerleader of really the direction you want to go, what's the end point looking like? And we spend a lot of time kind of, here's exactly what our year one uh, goals would be. Here's what we want to look like in year one. Here's what, in three years, what we want to be. Here's beyond five years. Yep. I mean, it's hard in our business to see out five years, but 
at the end of the year, here's what we want to accomplish in year one. And nothing that we wanted to accomplish in year one was driven around result metrics. Right. It, it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, that was not the goal in year one. The goal in year one was make sure it functions. Right. You know, make sure that we develop the team model. You know, make sure that we get our product out the door. Sure. Make sure that we get our invoice and our statements and our operational behind the scenes support networks working. And at the same time, build relationships throughout the year and get people comfortable with everything that needs to happen through year one. What happens year one happens in year one. Right. You know, I don't think there was anything we could have done that would have changed or guaranteed some end result. Mm -hmm. It was going to be what it was going to be. Right. So let's focus on everything else. And if we focus on the little things, the end results will be as good as they're going to be. And at the end of the day, you know, our results this past year, even in a historical, you know, spring planting were at or above what our expectations That's were. That's great. Which, yeah. was, which was really, really mm -hmm. good. It was a, there's a fine line in there of really building confidence with our internal teams, which to me was the absolute most important. You can't speak to the farm gate or even your dealers if you can't take right. care of your own team. Absolutely. Taking a company through a big change like this is a huge undertaking. As marketers, we're often also managers, and I wanted to know Andy's secrets to getting it done, to managing upwardly and outwardly throughout the organization, especially when pushing for a new and very big change. The biggest advice I would have to anybody that's going into any new venture is you, you're selling your confidence in the direction of the vision. Sure. And you can't sell that through emails, you can't sell that through memos, you can't sell that through webinars. I mean, you've got to put the decision makers in a room and you've got to confidently sell the direction of the organization. And you've got to answer questions to the best of your ability. That, to me, was the key to bringing this all together. All right, well, we're down to our last little bit here. My final segment's called Ask Another. Mm -hmm. And so I am going to pass a question to you from, from our past participants. Um, and this is kind of a hard one. So one of the interviewees I talked to said, five years from now, what is the technology that's going to impact us most as marketers? I'm especially interested in your perspective in the ag world on this topic. There's so many different technology trends that we're all trying to manage too. Mm -hmm. But what would you say is the number one for you guys? You know, and I think this is probably something that's going to impact everything, but AI sure. and, and who makes the decisions with who you're selling to is, is going to be in five years. Right now, there's so much individual input customized that's from one person to the next that drives a decision. In five years from now, that's going to be less. Sure. There are going to be algorithms and systems that drive what is the best decision that an end customer makes. Sure. And at the end of the day, you know, what's beautiful about our business is that you can't predict the weather. You can't predict the growing conditions. You can't predict what's going to happen the day after you plant a product. Half of what happens in any given field is in the minds of the grower. Right. 
And that is really unique, I think, to a lot of industries. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of other industries, you can predict a lot of things. In our business, you can't predict. You can only predict about half of it. And history would say that it's going to happen totally different the next year. So I think there's always going to be a place for human intervention in what we do. Yeah. But I know that human intervention is going to change drastically yeah. in the next couple of years because at the end of the day, we got to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, we're down to the point where, you know, margins in agriculture are razor thin. Yeah. They're razor thin. So little changes can have a big impact on a right. small organization and a big organization. So I really believe learning to use models and insights that we get from systems and artificial intelligence and blockchain are only going to make us better. But I think as as individuals, how do we use that? How are we not going to be scared of that information? Right. And how does that make us better sellers? That is going to be a big deal for us. Well, and, and I think we talked a lot about in ag your buyer, right? Your customer is historically, I don't remember the exact age, but we're talking like upper 50s, mm-hmm. lower 60s is generally mm-hmm. the average age of the person you're selling mm-hmm. to. So I think as marketers, you have a built-in excuse to not be progressive. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to say, I don't have to worry about any of these emerging marketing trends because the person I'm going after is 60 and they're still utilizing the same four or five that they did 15 or 20 years ago. And I think we really pushed you guys in that front to say that's that may be true today, but if you want to go from you know five percent market share to ten in the next ten years, who's going to be buying your products ten years from now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be huge yeah. at some given point in time. But you know, the great opportunity for us is that we we don't make widgets. Yep. You know, we we are dealing with a live product. Yeah. That has a ton of human intervention. That's great. You're always going to need that human intervention. But I think uh, at the end of the day, we're going to have to make better and better and better decisions. And technology is going to drive those better decisions. All right. So my last question for you, Andy, is what would be a question that you would ask someone else? What's something you're struggling with maybe in your day-to-day now and you'd love some insight about it? For me, it's I always look for, for new ideas. You know, I'd love to ask people, you know, who has opened doors for them in the past you know, where have they found challenge in their career outside of work? I think that uh, a lot of times is, is one of the, uh, the most challenging things for any leader is how are you intellectually challenged outside of your day-to-day career? Because, you know, most leaders would tell you, I can work 24-7, seven days mm-hmm. a week. I'm always interested to hear about how people challenge themselves outside of work. That's so cool. um, It's a great question. Yeah, yeah. Because you seem like an idea guy at the core, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, You do. You have this sort of, we call it an illustration personality Mm -hmm. where, you know. Well, the unique thing is, is I I don't think I've ever came up with any unique ideas. (laughs) You know, there are very few new unique ideas. They're just regenerated from somebody else. Absolutely. That that you hear or somebody gives you some bit of information, but you're never going to get that if you don't ask somebody for it. And I have never found anybody who is not willing to basically tell me anything I would ever ask, even competitors from that standpoint. Everybody wants to share. Everybody's your mentor. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough because I think the people listening are going to get a lot of ideas from you today. And I hope that you'll listen to others because I think you're going to see a lot of connections and what other people had to share. And I thank you, Tim, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It's good to catch up with Andy and talk through this stuff. Thank you. All right.
Well, guys, I don't know about you, but this interview with Andy taught me so much. I loved learning about how LG Seeds personified their customers through the We Mean Business campaign and how they strategically and thoughtfully went about their rebranding without disrupting the relationships with their local organizations. If you'd like more information about the work Andy and LG Seeds are doing, you can check them out on our website at marketingsweats.com. We hope you'll tune in to our next and final episode of season one with Tara Oglesby, who is the vice president of customer experience at Amherst, Missouri. We'll talk about building a culture focused on the customer and how to build a team and operational model in the process, something that any of us in marketing can benefit from learning about. We hope you'll tune in and connect with us online. We'll talk to you all soon.